What is up, Football Life? This is Football Life Presents the Audible. We are back. Happy Tuesday. Before you get to enjoy another round of football tonight with the Ravens and the Cowboys, come hang out with us on the Audible. We have a whole other rest of the slate to talk about here. I'm your host, Randy Hammond, joined uh, by my friend, Matt Bushnell, rocking his White Sox hat today. How's it going all the way out in Arizona? It's going great. I mean, breaking news last night, the White Sox get Lance Lynn. They acquire, they sign Adam Eden today. A lot of White Sox fans are kind of cold on that signing. But you're probably wondering why the Bears are so bad. I have to shift focus onto the hot stove for the Chicago White Sox. Well, we're going to get into that a little later, I'm sure of it. Uh, December 8th, and Matt Bushnell uh, already out on his once 5-1 and one Chicago Bears. It's amazing how things change in uh, the football world. In a short football season, so many things can change so fast. Uh, yeah, and uh, we're going to have a special guest coming on the show later, and you're probably not going to like it too much here, Matt, but you're a good sport, so, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you're going to take it like a champ. Uh, before we get into everything, Matt, I, I needed to ask you, because my dad even commented on this, uh, how cold is it in Arizona today? Because he laughed at that you were complaining about the cold uh, uh, while you were in a desert, basically. You know, first of all, it gets down into the 40s here at night. You know, so sometimes we'll dip our toe in the high 30s. So by no stretch of the imagination, is this some tropical paradise during the winter? So just to clear the air here, it was a blustery 73 today. So I'm trying to survive. It's not easy. I am winterized as best as I can be, but we're huddled in. If we had a fireplace, the fireplace would be on. We'd be hanging our stockings, you know, roasting some chestnuts. But, you know, we don't have a fireplace, Randy, but we're making do. It sounds like you're getting into the holiday spirit regardless, but I just want to point out, if it gets over 40 overnight, you know, I really feel bad for you because the high for us today in the capital region, upstate New York, was 36. So that's the high, not, not the low, not what happens overnight, because that's a whole other ballgame. Uh, but I have a feeling you moving to Arizona has turned you soft here, Matt, because, uh, you know, the Chicago, Matt, probably could handle this a little bit, a little bit more. Maybe a little bit tougher, thicker skin you got back in the day. Uh, <laughs> but that's enough about this chatter here let's get into football and we might have to start eating our words matt because last night monday night football round two we had two editions of it but the late game on espn the branded monday night football game saw josh allen take over and just put on a show uh he's done this a few times this year where he has over 300 yards passing and four touchdowns um i gotta say you know i'm not the biggest josh allen guy but improvements are clearly there um it, it, it couldn't have gotten much worse accuracy wise so it's good that he's gotten better there um but i expected i think you did too more from the 49ers defense but the combination of josh allen with cole beasley stefan diggs um you know and dawson knox is a good player you know they have good playmakers on this team and a good offensive line. And it's good that now for the bills that Josh Allen is starting to put us, put this whole thing all together here in the bills, 34 to 24 victory. Yeah. You talk about an indictment on the 49ers defense. I, I get Bosa was out with an injury, but Josh Allen reminds me of, you know, a souped up guy. What do I say? You know, I don't want to insult him by calling him Mitch Trubisky because he, obviously he's better than Mitch Trubisky. But when Josh Allen ro rolls off to his right, he is, like they said it last night on the broadcast, he is virtually unstoppable. He, he throws with such accuracy on the move going to his right. Maybe if they had Bosa, they'd be able to pressure him and have him go to his left. I imagine Bosa would have contained that more. And I don't want to downplay Bosa is a huge loss for this 49ers defense. Mm -hmm. 
but still, th this is where you pride yourself on. Eric Armstead was virtually non-existent this game, you know, for as much as everyone justified the Eric Armstead signing over DeForest Buckner. I still stand by my comments. You keep Buckner, you get rid of Armstead. But here we are with this 49ers team. Fred Warner played as about as good as you can play for a middle linebacker. But that secondary got toasted over and over and over again. And credit to you, Randy, it ties into where they played because you informed me today that who calls that stadium the what? Chris Berman, one of my all-time favorite broadcasters, probably the guy who made me fall in love with SportsCenter when I was a kid, refers to the Arizona Stadium, which I believe now is called State Farm Stadium, as the Big Toaster. <laughs> the Big Toaster. And how fitting was it that the 49ers secondary got toasted? <laughs> Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, I mean, guys I don't even know their names. You know, it, it, it was it was a showing by that Buffalo Bills offense that, you know what, they can step up. Richard Sherman looks old. Yeah. I don't like I, I don't want to take away this win from the Bills because, you know what, each week, as we as you said, the Bills are getting better. But I still need to see them play against better competition when we talk about the Chiefs the Steelers and we're going to find out if the bills are for real because they got the Steelers and the dolphins coming up dolphins, the last game of the year. I'm not No, I'm, Yeah. Dolphins, the last game of the year. That is right. So we're, we're going to find out a lot about this offense against those two teams. And I'm anxious to see it, but the 49ers, this felt like the death blow to their season. Yeah. I just want to say two things I've noticed with Josh Allen and I'm not a quarterback expert or anything, but I've watched football for a long time. And two things that he's made huge improvements on from the last few years is that he was a historically bad accuracy wise passer. He would overthrow guys by miles, like routine throws too. And it was, it was bad. And that's like why we were so down on him. Uh, and he's gotten more accurate. And you said that as he rolled right, he's very accurate rolling to the right. And in general this year, he's been much more accurate. The other one, and he's, he's breaking the design of passing plays to scramble less because he used to just bail out, put his head down and run all too often. Now he's letting plays develop. He's using his eyes to scan the field. And I think that probably comes with confidence in the offensive line, confidence in the coaching. And this is, this is why to me, and I know everyone like likes to joke with like Josh Allen, MVP, all that stuff. To me, the best acquisition of the entire off season was Stefan Diggs and Stefan Diggs makes Josh Allen a lot better. And it's, it's a credit to Josh Allen because they have a connection already, but Stefan Diggs is insane. Uh, he's had an all pro year. He is one of the best receivers in the league in hand up. Cause I said all off season that I thought he was overrated which bad take by me hand up completely there because he's definitely not he's he had 10 for 92 yesterday on 11 targets I mean that's about as reliable as you can get and he's not just a possession receiver like those numbers would indicate he's a big play guy he's he's just one of those guys that you can rely on each and every week for Josh Allen and that is so important I'm not like saying that you know a, a number one wide receiver or an elite wide receiver those things are kind of expendable those things are, are, are more of a luxury kind of similar how I feel about running backs but when you have a guy who can help develop a young quarterback that is invaluable to me I can't sit here and list all of the offseason acquisitions Matt but you know Stephon Diggs has to rank up at the top of that list right yeah I mean he's obviously up there I think when you take a look at what really made this Bills offense click, 
and I have to give credit to the ownership as well for the Bills. It's just the continuity. You, you added Diggs, which is great, but I think we look at a lot of teams and just like, man, the, the turnover is so much, so frequent. It really sets you back. Like when you take a look at the Giants, for example, and you know, obviously we'll talk about them tonight as well. Going from McAdoo to Shermer, and it looks like they finally got their guy, Joe Judge, but to stick with McDermott, because it wasn't always like McDermott was the guy. Like two years ago, there was rumblings that he might be out the door. So credit to the Bills for sticking with McDermott, because I think he is a top-notch head coach. He's really good at what he does. And once again, it shows in the NFL. There's this trend where you feel like you have to get this offensive guru to be your head coach. And that doesn't always work. Like not everyone's Andy Reid. Andy yeah. Reid's a special case. He's a good head coach. Sometimes you have to go with the leader as opposed to like this superb offense because the offense will fall into place if you have a good leader and good infrastructure. Yeah, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean uh, have done a great job putting together the Bills organization, and it's a big part of development. Even when they picked Josh Allen, they were all in from day one, and now they're here nine and three. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if they're a top-tier team in the AFC. They feel like that second tier underneath the, the Chiefs and Steelers, but, you know, nine and three for the Buffalo Bills and the first Monday night football game victory for them in 25 years. I mean, I was three years old the last time they won a game on Monday Night Football. And that's, you know, good for Bills fans. I wish you guys could be there in the, in the stands for this upcoming week against the Steelers because I know it would be crazy there. The Bills have some of the best fans in all of football. And it sucks that this year is the year that they're so good and the fans can't seem to enjoy it too, uh, enjoy fully. The Niners, 5-7 and seven now, feels like – uh, you know, maybe our hype for them a little too much love, but Shanahan will end up turning this into a seven and nine, eight and eight year, right? Maybe. I don't know. It's it's tough to gauge because they got two more games left in Glendale, Arizona, yes. at the big toaster. <laughs> so um, it, it really depends. They got a big one with the Cardinals coming up. I, I, that that is going to be a big game. Um, it, it just it depends. I think it really is iffy. Can they beat Seattle? Because finding two more wins for a team that just gave up 34 and couldn't do anything offensively, really. I mean, Nick Mullins has so much limitations. He threw two in, two picks, two touchdowns, but yeah. it just felt like so much was left out there. And they got talent. Brandon Ayuk yeah. is really good. Yeah. Um, Debo Samuel is really taking that next step up. Kendrick Bourne, mm-hmm. I mean, he came into the league as a running back, and now he's a wide receiver. Yeah. So kudos to Bourne. I think they get Greg Kittle back, but th- this team needs a quarterback, and I don't know where they get one. And I kind of was talking about this earlier today. It really does feel like hell if you're a 49ers fan because you know you're that one piece away. You're a quarterback away in reality, and you have to depend on maybe the Lions get tired of Matthew Stafford. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I have a hard time seeing Matthew Stafford being gone from the Lions. Dak Prescott, he's probably ending up back on the Cowboys. I, I find it hard to see the Cowboys letting him go after this season. Mm-hmm. Who, who's out there for this team? So, Sam yeah. Darnold. <laughs> it, yeah. You're going with another question mark for a team that is ready to win now, and it's just not a good situation. 
Yeah, I, I the Niners have had terrible injury luck all year long, and I, I trust them to figure this out. I mean, they get healthy next year. Maybe Jimmy G gets another shot. I don't know. Uh, you know, their roster is among one of the best in the league, and you're seeing that now with all the depth despite all the injuries. So I'm less concerned about the 49ers in the future, but, you know, we'll see what they do at the quarterback position moving forward because, uh, yeah, it's time to move on, Matt. We've spent a lot of time on that Monday Night Football game. We had another – game on Monday, which is not the Monday night football game. This game was postponed after the couple of Ravens Steelers game got pushed back a couple times. And now it finally got played last night is the Washington football team handing the Pittsburgh Steelers, their very first loss of the season, pop the bottles, Miami dolphins of 72. You are safe. Once again, uh, the Steelers falling 23 to 17 after having a 14, nothing lead almost into halftime where the Washington gets a gift by the refs and let the clock stop. And then the Washington kicks the field goal. As time expires, they'll go. No, they went at halftime up 14 to three. Still, if you're the Steelers, you have this dominant defense, like I think you have. You got to get the job done here. But Alex Smith comes back in the second half. He finishes 31 to 46, 296 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Washington, the defensive front is insane, and they gave Roethlisberger some problems. And the play calling for Steelers didn't help because he threw the ball 53 times. Why don't they run the ball? I don't understand. I don't know. We said how the Steelers have some flaws all year. Uh, I thought my Giants had the biggest win of the weekend, uh, and then Washington turned around and said, <laughs> you thought it. <laughs> and now they're five and seven, tied for the lead in the NFC East, Matt. You know, I, I kind of I, – I, this is the way I feel right now. It, it's over. Alex Smith is the comeback player of the year. Book yeah. it. It's done over with. He has uh-huh. done more than enough. He has looked good. And I think that's a big difference, along with pairing him with Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera is such a good leader of men, and I cannot stress this. I'm so happy for Ron to show how good of a coach he is. He's, he gets it. He knows the NFL. He's a good man, and he's done everything the right way in Washington. All the turmoil, all the news stories out in the you know preseason about Daniel Snyder's sex parties and the yachts <laughs> and the cheerleaders. So it, it's, it's nice that Ron Rivera is able to – take all those distractions and put them away and just concentrate on football for this Washington football club. Yeah. I think at this point, Alex Smith is not just the comeback player of the year. You have to rename the award. It's the Alex Smith award or the Alex Smith comeback player of the year award. Like the guy who's almost died. <laughs> and he almost had his leg amputated. Uh, I don't think I can stress that enough. Uh, what this guy went through is probably unlike any other thing that any other guy in the NFL has gone through to this point and continued playing. Uh, Alex, every time I see Alex Smith play, it's just, it's inspiring and yet concerning to me at the same time. There was a point in this game that he got cleated and started gushing blood out of the tape in his ankle. And I, I was like, Oh my God, did he re-break his leg or like with a wound pop or something? Like I, I didn't know what happened, but it was the opposite leg. So like mini heart attack converted there, but of course it was like Alex Smith and it was a leg issue. And I was like, Jesus, this guy can't catch a break. But uh, the Steelers flaws to me, fit right into Washington's hands in this game. It's a terrible matchup because Washington has great up front. They get tons of pressure on the quarterback and the Steelers cannot run the ball. They ran the ball 14 times for 21 yards as a team and Roethlisberger went 33 of 53, 305 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And as Leon said in the comments section, they had two absolutely massive goal line stands and Chase Young made an unbelievable play on one of them where literally his one arm prevented, I believe it was McFarland from getting into the end zone. I don't know. Washington feels like a team that has um, 
that style that could help them potentially make the playoffs here and give a playoff team fits um, with, because, you know, for me, like I, I've always said on every single one of these shows, if you have an elite pass rush, you can make any team uncomfortable and Washington, if nothing else has an elite pass rush. You know, what's amazing about that too, is they had zero sacks going into the fourth quarter. I don't think they finished with the sack all game. So it, it goes to show you that even without getting that sack, how important pressures are, um, so being able to get to Ben Roethlisberger, make him uncomfortable, move him off his spot is all so important in today's NFL. And then we need to talk about this. When the season started and we did our outlooks and our predictions, we talked about Washington has no playmakers. You know, who yeah. are they going to count? Terry McLaurin's the only one. Yeah. And Leon mentioned one name, Logan Thomas converted from a quarterback to a tight end. And he's mm-hmm. looked damn good as a tight end. Then they found Antonio Gibson. Uh, your theory on running backs prevails yet again. So congratulations on that take because it has been proven golden this year. So we take a look at this team. They have some legit weapons. Now you take a look at what Washington can do. Washington might be able to run the table. And, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but they have a realistic possibility of finishing nine and seven. All of a sudden you start taking a look at the schedule. You could look at an eight and eight team winning this division, as opposed yeah. to like a five and 11, six and 10, which is a vast improvement. The giants are better yeah. and the Washington football club is better. The Eagles are a mess. Cowboys, they, they need Dak and they got to improve their defense, but Washington can shift their focus now. What do they need in the draft? Now you can start looking at secondary players. You can start looking at offensive linemen. It's a good situation to be if you're Washington because you got your number one wide receiver, you got your number one tight end, and you got your number one running back. Obviously, they're going to need a quarterback, but that's not a position of absolute need because Alex Smith is more than serviceable at this point. He's looked damn good. Give him another year to knock off this rust, and I'm sure he's going to be – okay to go for this team they got the pass rush yeah. on to the Steelers Minka Fitzpatrick got hurt I'm, I'm not sure if he went back in the game it was late in the fourth quarter Joe Hayden got hurt I think he did come back in we talked about you know you brought it up last week Bud Dupree out for the season when you can't rush the quarterback or you can double team TJ Watt you can chip them and knock them off you know that little extra second Pittsburgh's in some trouble because you looked at the defense and you thought, okay, maybe they can cause some problems for Kansas City. If you cannot get to Patrick Mahomes, you're in deep shit. And yeah. that's the thing. Like, you have to get to Mahomes because there's no other way to beat the Chiefs. If you let Mahomes get time in that pocket, he's going to rip your heart out right in front of you and show it to you. And it's going to be a long day at the office. Yeah. Uh, Washington, I think the schedule uh, is still pretty tough. I, I, I think they play Seattle and uh, they play Philly. So, I mean, I think eight and eight is a realistic chance. And I think the Giants have a realistic chance to make it interesting for them too. So we'll talk about the Giants in a little bit, but you know, now there's an interesting race in the NFC East that isn't going to revolve probably a, a six and 10 team, which is super awesome because, you know, it was pretty, it was a pretty big joke for a long time. 
The Steelers' defense still pretty good. Still had three sacks, seven and a half tackles for loss. Uh, and T.J. Watt had another sack and two tackles for loss. T.J. Watt's making a strong case for Defensive Player of the Year. But like you said, injuries are piling up. They can Teams can game plan for them now. You have guys like J.D. McKissick, which also uh, proves uh, my running back theory uh, prudent because J.D. McKissick was nothing uh, for a long time, even with Seattle. But he had 10 catches for 70 yards out of the backfield and uh, killed them on third downs all day long. Steelers beat themselves a lot here in the comment section. There's a lot of talk about the Steelers' drops. They did have about nine of them. Uh, it's you know not going to get the job done. Lack of focus from guys like James Washington, Deontay Johnson, Eric Ebron. You know those guys got to be better. Uh, you know the Steelers have another tough test in Buffalo coming up this week, and you know I could totally see them losing that game. But as far as I'm concerned, they're still the, the second best team in the conference with uh, not a great chance at beating the Chiefs. So. We're going to wrap up on that conversation, talk about the other primetime game before we go rapid fire style on the rest of the slate. And that Sunday night game involves those Kansas city chiefs. And, you know, it's a weird score. It's 22 to 16 against the Broncos team that we don't think is very good. That's, you know, uh, four and eight, but uh, it's a division game. The Broncos defense is kind of frisky and um, drew lock came back, which you know, I don't know how good drew lock is, but it's a quarterback compared to last week. Uh, <laughs> the chiefs to me, remind me of peak Patriots where they're just at this point, they are coasting and they're saving their best for last. And these games probably shouldn't alarm us despite many people kind of concerned about what they saw. Yeah. I mean, you could take a look at the score, but you really have to watch the game and how the game flows with the chiefs, because it really does feel like sometimes they just get bored and they toy around. They're not playing as sharp as they can. You know, maybe with the Pittsburgh loss, it wakes them up a little bit. It gives them some motivation to get that number one seed. Um, Pittsburgh can lose a couple more games on their schedule. I mean, it's open for the Chiefs to get, you know, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And I think that's huge for Kansas City. It makes their road to the Super Bowl a little bit easier. But the story of this is Denver has a really nice front, you know, with Bradley Chubb, who's really good. Granted, Von Miller was lost for the season. And they got some players on that front that show up. Um, Offensively, Tim Patrick has turned into a legit wide receiver. If this team had Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy, you would have a lot of things here offensively to work with. Garrett Bowles has turned himself into a fantastic offensive lineman. I love the coaching with the Broncos. I think Vic Fangio never gets enough credit for how great of a defensive mastermind he is. He can really game plan for anybody. But it just goes to show Kansas City has too much. Yeah, you could take away Tyreek Hill. Um, Andy Reid should have challenged that touchdown catch that was taken off because Tyreek Hill scored. It was a touchdown. Yeah. So uh, that's one you wish you could have back. But Travis Kelsey, he, he, he's that tight end now. Like I know 49er fans will say George Kittle's the guy. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's Travis Kelsey because he's such a matchup nightmare for every team that he faces, because you basically have to double Tyree kill. You can't ignore him and let him go one-on-one because he's just going to outrun the corner on a fly route. And he's really good at route running too. That's the other underestimation. Sammy Watkins, same deal. Sammy's really good. So if you're going to let someone beat you, you know, Travis Kelsey, I mean, he's doing it all over the middle of the field. Yeah. Uh, this is, 
Kelsey finished eight catches for 136 yards and a touchdown. This is the fifth year. I don't think it's fifth consecutive, but fifth year that Travis Kelsey had had a thousand yards receiving. I believe he's the first tight end to do so. That is ridiculous. I know it's a crazy passing league now, but you know, he's still a relatively young ish kind of guy. I believe he's 28 or so. Um, I mean, him and Pat Mahomes are going to be doing this for the next few years. I, I, I would <laughs> Travis McKelsey might set you know tight end receiving records at this point. I, I think that he is the go-to guy for the Chiefs. And I'll say this because I, I criticize teams who don't run the ball well because I think it's just a basic thing that you should be able to do. Uh, it's it's a it's a you know just something you fall back on as a good running game. Like it, Pat Mahomes is never just not going to have it, but the Chiefs <laughs> use the running game so well. They had 22 carries for 134 yards as a team, but it was done with four different guys. Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell, 11 carries for 40 yards. Uh, I saw Daryl Williams, six carries for 38 yards. Tyree Kill, one carry for 30 yards. Pat Mahomes, four for 26. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was uh, active for this game, but active is a strong word because he didn't play a single snap. The, the Chiefs find ways to run the ball effectively without having to use a single guy. They are just, I don't know, they're just so complete and they do everything so well. And it's its so so amazing to watch. And Tyreek Hill, I've never seen a guy catch a touchdown and not know he caught a touchdown. That's new to me. But uh, this game, obviously the Chiefs to me, coasting, you look at all the stats, they look good. Um, Chiefs defense played well, but the Broncos... I want to have this Broncos conversation. Andrew Locke uh, obviously missed some games this year. He's had some rib issues, some COVID problems. Um, we were really high on Drew Locke in the offseason. I still kind of like Drew Locke. If they did have Cortland Sutton, you'd really like the offense a lot more. Melvin Gordon has played well for them this year. He had 15 for 131 last night. That's a pretty good stat line, if you ask me. Uh, and he had a long run of 65. Vic Fangio gets a lot of heat in Denver. But to me, they're 4-8. and eight, But you haven't had you know, your premium pass rushers. You haven't had a, your whole defense put together there. You know, Von Miller hasn't played all year. He opted out. Vic Fangio, I think all things considered has done a pretty good job here. And I don't think he should be fired. And if he was fired, I think he'd be hired literally within a day. So I know you're a big, big, big Vic Fangio guy. So I want you to talk to Broncos fans and say, you know, why you should stick around with Vic Fangio. Because you've missed Von Miller for a year. You've lo- you've lost Bradley Chubb for games on end. And this defense is consistently keeping you in games. It's not like they get embarrassed. They play hard. You see the offensive line playing better. This team has an identity. They like to run the football. They're they're trying to run the football. He was able to bring on Pat Shermer, who I think if Drew Locke was healthy throughout this entire year, and let's cut Drew Locke some slack here early on the year because he did suffer from an injury and shoulder injuries are always so tricky for quarterbacks that you really need to be a little patient and take that with a grain of salt of how they perform, obviously. And then also with, you know, the COVID situation, I'm going to give Drew Locke a pass. I think with Pat Shermer, this offense is going to be better. I know there's some comments about how they're not utilizing Jerry Judy correctly. It's a wide receiver is a product of how they run their routes. And Jerry Judy's a rookie. He's going to get better, but to expect like this huge impact, like Justin Jefferson has on the Vikings, keep in mind, Jerry Judy's the man right now in Denver, and he's probably not ready for that. So right. Tim Patrick is getting the lesser of the coverage. Yep. Whereas Justin Def- Jefferson is the beneficiary of having, having Adam Thielen and Dalvin cook, yes. which <clears throat> makes a huge damn difference. So 
Fangio has been able to put together a team that's fighting. They're four and eight, but they haven't given up. They fought the Chiefs. They got tough in the red zone. You know, so Fangio's the guy for the job. Give him some more time. Let Drew Locke come back healthy and have a full year. I think Denver is more on the rise than what people want to give them credit for. And like we talked about early on with Sean McDermott, stability is key for a lot of these franchises. Mm-hmm. You don't want to turn over if you don't have to. And I don't believe taking Vic Fangio out with Pat Shermer is going to do Drew Locke any favors. Yeah, I think they got to keep this coaching staff in place. I think the problem with Judy more than anything else is the turnover at the quarterback position. Uh, there hasn't been a ton of consistent quarterback play this year for them. Uh, it's like Brett Rippon, and then you got the Drew Locke here playing some games, and then randomly you have a game with no quarterbacks altogether. Uh, I wish that you know they could have had just Drew Locke play all year. I think him and Judy would have had something nice together. Um, but they have a lot of good op- offensive playmakers. You know, Noah Fant, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler uh, coming on here um, on top of Jerry Judy, and then. When they eventually they do get Cortland Sutton back. So uh, the Broncos, I'm not nearly as down on. I think that, you know, to get healthy and come back next year, they will be a frisky team. They could be a potential playoff team coming next year. So I like the Broncos. They always seem to be a team that plays guys tough. And, you know, Vic Fangio is a hell of a coach and I would not, I think moving on from him would be a mistake here. So, all right. We have a whole rest of the slate of games to talk about here. Matt, I tried to assign us these games based on the ones we picked on Friday. I be based on the games that haven't happened yet and primetime games. I had one more, so I gave you one that I picked. So lucky you, you get a better game to talk about because some of the games that you have are pretty bad and all the games that I have are pretty good. Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to shock that I was a W for me this way. Not really being able to uh, back that up. I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So maybe enjoyed watching these games. I don't know. Um, uh, I'm going to start off the slate here with my number one overall pick. Uh, and this is going to be uh, good for our friend in the comment section who earlier asked if the Browns were legit. So let me find it. Corey Richmond, my friend, the Cleveland Browns are nine and three. And yes, I believe that they are legit. I don't know if they're Super Bowl contenders, but they are in that second tier of AFC teams to me after putting it on the Tennessee Titans in the final score does not indicate where this game was. At one point, uh, the Browns were up, I believe, 34 to 10 at one point. They won this game 41 to 35, but the Browns, uh, and it's not just, the, it's not your stereotypical Browns game. It wasn't the running game. It wasn't Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt dominating, and they had both had good games. This was Baker Mayfield's best game as a professional. He was 25 of 33, 334 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, and he was lighting it up. Uh, he had touchdown passes to four different players, Rashard Higgins, Donovan Beach, Peoples Jones, Jarvis Landry, and Kay Lamb. I don't even know who that is. And he had one dropped by Peoples Jones ahead of that. So uh, I don't know if this is the Titans defense being bad or, you know, the Browns starting to click here with Kevin Stefanski, but um, the Titans would try to make this interesting late that they scored, you know, 28 points in the second half and still came up short. So a lot of these Titan stats are skewed. And, you know, when you're down, both these teams have a similar playing style where they run heavy, play good defense. And when you're down, it's hard to run and catch up like that. That way, you, when you're up 14 nothing quickly, and this game felt over pretty quickly, Derrick Henry was basically eliminated at that point. He finishes with 15 carries for 60 yards. So, you know, the Titans, I, I, I don't know how to feel about this because I expected the Titans to win this game. I think you did too. I did not expect the Browns to go into Tennessee and smack the Titans around. And it, this, to me, uh, 
basically wraps up the coach of the year race. I think Kevin Stefanski has done an incredible job without Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I, I think that, you know, the two the two headed monster running back, uh, Nick Chubb, 18 carries for 80 yards, Kareem Hunt, 14 of 33. Both those guys offer threats in the backfield for receiving. And, uh, you know, Baker, you know, probably hasn't looked this good in, in his whole career. So credit to them. Browns, nine and three, the first winning season, I believe, since 2007. That's crazy to me. So wherever you are, Ryan Scheider, my friend, I just wanted to give a shout out because we got ridiculed for saying how good of a team the Browns are going to be and how well run they've been as of late. Suck it, my friend. That's all I want to say about that. Matt, you have the next game. Where are we going next? I, I do want to talk about, yes, Kevin Stefanski, coach of the year, but Corey Richman brings up a, an interesting tidbit. Four touchdowns in first half on autogram birthday. Oh, okay. I have an autogram story. So Let's hear it. <laughs> autograms from Waukegan, Illinois. So my grandfather lived in Waukegan, Illinois. Um, Waukegan, Illinois is close to the Naval base. And my grandfather was a Navy guy. So Otto Graham was such a hot shot. When he went back to Waukegan, he parked his vehicle in the middle of the road and my great grandfather got so sick of it. He went out there and almost started a fist fight with Otto Graham. So a little Otto Graham story there for Otto Graham thinking he was hot shit. Parking his car in the middle of the road in Waukegan. Don't park your car in the middle of the road, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to piss somebody off. Look at that, Corey Richmond. Browns are 9-3, and you got a unique autogram story from Matt Bushnell. What a day. Yeah, so, all right. <laughs> Let's go on to a really good football team, the Miami Dolphins over the Cincinnati Bengals, who are not very good, 19-7. to Opens up draft possibilities for the Bengals. They're probably going to get a really nice left tackle out of Oregon, yep. who's yep. probably the best left tackle out in two decades coming out of Oregon. But anyway, my guy, Tua, Tua time. 26 of 39, 296 yards and a touchdown. Really just what a great game by Mike Gasecki. Nine catches, 88 yards and a touchdown. Randy, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of good tight end play in the NFL going on this year. Mm-hmm. Miles, a hell of a grab too. Hell of a touchdown catch. Hell of a touchdown catch. Miles Gaskin, 21 carries for 90 yards. But the story is a defense here. The defense for the Dolphins is ridiculous. Shaq lost in two sacks. Zach Seifer had one sack. Um, the tackles for losses. Kyle Van Noy had three sacks and five tackles Jesus. for losses. That guy, I don't know how he's still in the league, but he's always there. He's making noise. The Patriots didn't want him. Big loss there. The Bengals. 11 for 19 for Brandon Allen, 153 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Ryan Finley comes in six to seven for 40 yards and a pick. Giovanni Bernard, Samaje Perrine, Brandon Allen. They don't have any running backs on this team. They had a combined 40 yards on 15 carries, not, I'm sorry, 17 carries, not going to get the job done. And then we take a look at Tyler Boyd, a Tyler Boyd sighting. He's alive. He's alive. One reception for 72 yards and a touchdown. T. Higgins, five for 56. Just really a bad effort all around by the Bengals offense. Not really much to write home about. Dolphins move to eight and four, and it looks like they're going to grab a wild card. 
Fun fact, uh, I benched Tyler Boyd in my winning in one of my winning in fantasy league situations. Uh, and I saw that 70 yarder and immediately hated myself. <laughs> and then uh, he got ejected. So uh, I didn't hate myself too much because he only finished with just that one play. And speaking of that ejection, did you see Brian Flores just getting into the face of all those Bengals during that scuffle? What a remarkable difference it was from John Harbaugh having no Bengals behind him, or I'm sorry, yeah. no Ravens behind him going against Rabel. And then here's Brian Flores, who I, I wouldn't want to mess with Brian Flores. That, that's a big dude right there. Yeah. And then you know he, the players love that stuff, right? Oh, yeah. And they were backing up. This Dolphins team is fucking feisty. Do not screw with the Dolphins. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a, a news item from that, that scuffle a little later in the show. All right, moving on to a game that we both got wrong and we're, you know, we'll hand up. We always say, when we, you know, we're right. We like to say when we're right, when we're wrong, we got to say when we're wrong. We thought the Falcons were going to put it on the Saints here and uh, they really didn't. They got dominated for most of this game at 21 to 16 loss. Uh, the Saints improving now to 10 and 2 with Taysom Hill, and they are undefeated with backup quarterbacks in the last two years between Teddy Bridgewater and now Taysom Hill. Uh, Sean Payton doing a pretty good coaching job himself. Uh, Taysom Hill. 27 to 37 for 232 yards in his first two career passing touchdowns in this game. Uh, which were shocking, but also probably shouldn't have been shocking to me that he never had a passing touchdown until then. And then uh, Camara had a nice game, 15 carries, 88 yards, a touch. Well, two catches for nine yards. Uh, the Falcons, you know, we talked about last on, on Friday show was in the preview, uh, how the Falcons defense hasn't been improved, how, you know, since Raheem Morris took over, you know, they've been top five defense and their DVOA jumped from 20 to, you know, six or something like that. They, uh, kind of got like, you know, it wasn't the biggest blowout ever, but you know, they kind of just didn't offer much resistance for the saints. And that's, I, I was kind of disappointed in that the saints had 200 yards of rushing on the ground. Uh, Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara being the main two, they had both had over 80 yards rushing. So uh, the Falcons a little disappointed in Matt Ryan, 19 to 39. That's not very good at all. 273 yards and a touchdown. I don't know what to make of the Falcons now. I expected more from them, but they are now four and eight. And Raheem Morris, I think, still has an opportunity to get the job in the future. But I wouldn't be shocked if the Falcons, you know, started to move on from Matt Ryan. I don't think they'll move on from Julio, but it feels like to me Matt Ryan uh, is slowly fading out there. However, I'll say this. The Saints, I haven't gotten a ton of love from us on this show. Their defense is pretty freaking good. And, we you know, we've talked about good defenses, like who we think have good defenses, the Saints have one of the best defenses in the NFL, and they've been consistent each week. And if, I don't even know how to where to start. I mean, it's it's just a big group of guys who rush the passer really well, stop the run very well. They have a good secondary, and I just I, Cameron Jordan, I guess, is the guy you would point to and say this is the captain leader of the team. Like he has, like I think, the most sacks in franchise history. I saw, but I mean, every week he's getting to the quarterback, he's rushing the passer well, and the secondary is really good, and the, the linebackers are solid, but. The Saints, the Saints defense might be able to carry them farther than we realize here. And despite how we don't love the quarterback situation there, the Saints are, are talented. And, you know, they've had heartbreaking losses in the playoffs each of the last three years. But I don't know if their defense has been as good as it is now. So I'm talking myself more and more into the Saints. They're 10-2 and two now. It seemed like they have they control their own destiny to the one seed. Um, I don't know. I'm really impressed by the Saints defense. I don't really know what else to say. I think for me with the Saints, it's hard to get over what Green Bay did to them in New Orleans. I mean, yeah. Green Bay walked in there and just ran all over their asses. So it's a wait and see. And right. Where are we going next? 
Well, speaking of running over someone's ass, we got the Raiders <laughs> and the Jets here. Look away, Jacob. Look away. <laughs> and I will say this. It, it was an interesting game. You know, yeah. we, we thought that this was going to be a bad game. It was not. Nope. It was surprisingly entertaining. The Jets get 15 points in the fourth quarter. And, I mean, really the main talking point is when the Jets score and there's limited time left, it's 28-24. You know, the, the basically – very little time left on the clock and Greg Williams, you know, we, this is for everyone that bitches about prevent defense right here. Like, Oh, well, if we would have played, if we didn't play prevent defense, that wouldn't have happened. Well, the jets decided to go cover zero. And for those who do not know what cover zero is, it means it's man up, no safety help. And you're bringing the house. They brought the house, Derek Carr, throws literally like Uh, Matt how about I show it for you you know what yes yes let's show it because that's the only way to describe this play do we have it queued up there we go oh here we go Derek Carr it covers zero and one on one and it is a touchdown that is a backbreaker. Henry Ruggs with world-class Ugh. speed. Uh, th- that's wait for the replay. Goes. The replay is just as bad. You're leaving this rookie undrafted corner out on an island by himself against one of the fastest players in the whole league. Yeah, it, it is. Th- this is just beyond bad defense, bad play calling. Obviously, Greg Williams gets fired after this play. Oh my god! Oh, look at that stutter step. That's oh. where he gets the break. Toasted. That's, yeah, that, that's way too toasted. Easy. Toasted. And the Raiders avoid embarrassment. Derek Carr goes twenty-eight of forty-seven for three hundred and eighty-one yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Sorry, Jacob. Video is an integral part of this show. Darren Waller, thirteen catches, two hundred yards, two touchdowns. Maybe the best game by a tight end all year. So the Jets, the Jets, J E T S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Ty Johnson, twenty-two carries, one hundred and four yards, one touchdown. Sam Darnold had an interesting game: three carries for twenty-six yards and a touchdown. Fourteen for twenty-three, one hundred and eighty-six yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I, I just cannot put my arms around Sam Darnold as a passer. It's just too hard. Jamison Crowder, five receptions, 47 yards, two touchdowns. Raiders go to seven and five. Jets march their way to history at 0-12. Four more to go to be the third winless team in the modern era. Oh, Jets. I'm so sorry. Shake <laughs> up in the comments. We've had video plenty of times here, my friend. Don't don't kill us for that. Uh, but I just, I needed, it was so bad. I just needed to show it. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, Greg Williams a little later in the show. Uh, my God. All right. We got to move on from the, the goddamn Jets as a, a famous line from uh, an Adam Sandler movie once said. Uh, all right. The Minnesota Vikings were losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the third quarter a game that you know i picked because i thought would be entertaining and i was right because it was actually a pretty good game the jags defense came to play and uh did pretty well this game would go into overtime and i thought for sure once it went into overtime this game was getting into a tie because it was kirk cousins it was mike glennon i'm like of course this game it's just it just felt like a tie to me uh nonetheless the vikings getting the win with a a field goal in overtime uh from dan bailey i believe right yeah he's the kicker for them now yeah dan bailey 
former Cowboys great. Uh, Mike Glennon, uh, since coming into the Jags, actually been pretty entertaining, all things considered, which is a shock to me because not a very good quarterback. And every time I see him, I just think of his neck and it's so long and he's so weird looking. Um, but he's got a good, he's got arm strength. I'll give him that. He's 28 of 42, 280 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, James Robinson, one of my favorite guys, undrafted rookie, 18 for 78 and a touch. Uh, guys just runs hard. I don't really know what else to say about it. He just is a, is a good runner. Uh, the Jacksonville defense is pretty beat up and pretty uh, depleted at this point. Comes in and plays pretty well. But Kirk Cousins uh, has a pretty good uh, stretch of play going on right now. 28 and 43, 300 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Dalvin Cook, 32 for 120. And one of the best receiver duos this year, Adam Thielen, eight for 75 in the touchdown. And my guy, who I think took over the rookie of the year spot on offense, Justin Jefferson, nine catches for 121 yards and a touchdown. And he had another long play get taken back on an offensive pass interference, which they called. I mean, I guess he kind of did push off. I thought there was contact both ways. Regardless, it's that she would look you know, a little bit better based on that. But still, he is a stud and basically started that whole touchdown dance that all the receivers are doing now when they score because um, he's a millennial and he's on TikTok. And actually, I think he might even be a Gen Zer. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, he started a whole trend. So this guy is not only one of the best rookie receivers that we've had, uh, he's a trendsetter as well. So the Vikings now, six and six and looking like they're going to get one of those wild card spots, Matt. They started off one and five, and now, uh, you know, they're looking pretty good and making a run now. Yeah. Another entertaining game, Randy. I don't want to talk about no stinking Minnesota Vikings. The (laughs) Indianapolis Colts (laughs) against the Houston Texans. And what can I say? I was entertained for a half, and then I was put to sleep for another half. Um, First half had some fireworks. Philip Rivers, old man River is 27 to 35 in this game for 285 and two touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor, this may have been his breakout game, maybe. 13 carries for 91 yards, three receptions for 44 yards and a touchdown. A T.Y. Hilton is alive sighting. Eight receptions, 110 yards, and a touchdown. Michael Pittman, five for 46. So Michael Pittman shown some, you know, life there. I, I always like Michael Pittman, not a top 10 pick in the NFL as someone projected. Um, And then we go to Houston. And Deshaun Watson played marvelous. I I love watching Deshaun Watson play. 26 of 38, 341 yards, but no touchdowns and an interception. It it hurt, but we have a David Johnson sighting. 10 carries, 44 yards, and a touchdown. So... Then we have Deshaun Watson for seven carries, 38 yards, and a touchdown. Kiki Kuti had eight receptions for 141 yards. And Chad Hansen, who had five catches for 101 yards. But overall, we see the Colts move to eight and four in a first-place tie with those Tennessee Titans. I have a feel it's going to come down to the last game of the year. And the Houston Texans move down to four and eight, and who will gladly be giving their first and second-round pick to the Miami Dolphins next year in 2021. Poor Deshaun Watson. Uh, and Jacob in the comments says, former Jet Chad Hansen, maybe related to uh, Red Zone host Scott Hansen. Maybe not. Maybe a member of the old band Hansen from the 90s, uh, dating myself with that one. All right, it is time. The moment you've all been waiting for. You know how I'm so negative about the Giants, Matt, basically for the last three years or so. And I'm, I, I do th- I look at the, what's in front of me and I say, say how things are based on what I see. 
The New York Giants have been a joke for the last three years. Matt, they are not a joke anymore. And I can say that with pride because they had the biggest win that they've had in four years. The last win they've had that was this big was on Sunday Night Football in 2016 when they welcomed in the 12-1 and Dallas Cowboys. Odell Beckham Jr. took a slant to the house, 67 yards, and won that game 10-7. to That was the last time they had a really big win against a playoff team that many people thought was a contender. They hadn't won a game that was like they were severe underdogs against a good team in that whole time. All the wins they've had, Washington or uh, a bum Bengals team or another bum team here or another bum team there, they don't beat teams that are good. They just haven't. But this time, they did. And it was based all on defense. This team has random players on defense that are playing absolutely out of their minds. Leonard Williams hated the trade, still hate the trade. You didn't need to trade for him. You could have just signed the guy, but he's playing out of his mind. He's got seven and a half sacks this year. Uh, Jabril Peppers uh, has had a pretty good year. He's healthy for once and he's you know playing really well. Logan Ryan, I love that signing from day one and he's been a great leader for this team. Blake Martinez, tackling machine all over the field, played so well. But the thing is for me, when you have these guys, James Bradbury, I need to shout out him. He's having an all pro year, definitely going to make the Pro Bowl. And he had a nice game against DK Metcalf, despite, you know, getting stiff armed and only getting two extra yards. Everyone freaked out about it. Whatever. Uh, You know, when you have players that are middle of the pack or maybe average or whatever, and they play this well, it's on coaching to me because you're getting the most effort out of your guys. You're making sure they're absolutely prepared to play each and every week and you're inspiring them to play the best they possibly can play. Like, I don't know if this is an indictment on what it's, the future holds for the giants. Cause I don't know. I don't, I don't think they're super talented. I don't think they have a great roster, but I love what the coaching staff does each and every week because these guys play so hard for them. This team was one in seven just a month ago. So, you know, when I kill them at one and seven, because it was deserved, I mean, they, they, they just when you lose games, I'm not willing to sit here and go, oh, well, they, they play hard and moral victories. I'm sick of all that. Win these games. And then to this point, you know, they beat Washington twice, which look like decent wins now. They beat Philly. Okay, Philly's a freaking mess. They beat the Bengals, one of the worst teams in the league. And now you beat a team with one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and you beat a team who is could represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And it's not like one of these wins where like the Seahawks continuously did dumb things and beat shot themselves in the foot. Like this was felt like a, a win that was actually earned, and they fought hard for, and they actually won this game with the effort on defense. And they made Russell Wilson, you know, run for his life all game, which is 100% on the defense. They did a great job in this game. The offense still has concerns. Colt McCoy in there for Daniel Jones did enough to win the game. Ultimately he had one turnover in the red zone. Okay. He had, you know, 12 to 22 or 13 to 22, hundred yards passing in a touchdown, whatever. This team's going to need Daniel Jones to be healthy right down the stretch if they want to make the playoffs and hopefully he can play well enough. But my guy, Wayne Gallman, Saquon Barkley gets hurt against your bears week two, Matt. Oh, I said Wayne Gallman was going to be the guy from that moment on. He had 16 carries, 135 yards, had a 60 yard rush in this game Alfred Morris, somehow the corpse of Alfred Morris has come in and he's played decent for the Giants. He had eight carries for 39 yards and yes, he actually had a touchdown reception in this game as well. So the Giants are making it work with a bunch of random guys. The offensive line's been playing better. So I'm so impressed with the coaching staff. I fear that they are going to lose Patrick Graham in the offseason. He's going to get coaching interviews. I wouldn't be surprised if someone pulled the trigger. He's making this work with a lot of guys that many, many teams wouldn't consider even to be great defensive players. That to me is a sign of a great coach. Uh, Joe judge, the impact's clear. Like he's clearly having an impact on this team because the last few years, Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, this team has given up on these guys just decided I don't want it. don't care. Don't want to play for them. I just want this game to be over with. You haven't gotten that really that much with this team. 
and it's all on the coaching staff to me. Uh, the roster, not that talented. Offense, not that good. The defense, probably not even that good. But they're playing out of their minds. It's really all that matters. They're 5-7 and seven now and control their own destiny in the NFC East. Uh, uh, they have the Cardinals coming up. Their schedule is kind of rough. But if they can beat Seattle in Seattle, who can't they beat? You know, to me, that's, that's good as – as good of a win as any. So they probably could beat the chiefs. You know, I'll give you that, but and they could probably come up big and beat any team at this point. And that's something I never thought I would say. I've been pretty down on them to this point. And now, you know, you got me and I, I'm not fully all in until Gettleman is gone. And I'm fear they won't be, but regardless, this is the best one the giants have had in a long time. And it feels really good. Yeah. I, I don't want to like rain on the parade or anything and, you know, <laughs> pour cold water on this situation, but uh, you know, Seattle, they have issues defensively and Carlos Dunlop was a huge addition and everything, mm-hmm. but man, you can't allow the giants to run the football like that on you. And it, you're absolutely right. I, I'm a big proponent. And this is why you don't spend 77% of your salary cap on defense because defense is fucking effort based. It's coaching and effort. You spend 77% of your cap on defense. You're starting to like th- this league's all geared towards offense. Mm-hmm. So, when you spend all that money on defense, you're taking away from the advantages that the NFL, the league is giving you. So congratulations to the giants Four wins in a row is not an easy thing to do in the NFL. They had a brutal first half schedule. So, you know, I tip my cap to the giants. Just keep it going make that division respectable, Washington and New York. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) Who would have thought coming into the season there would have been these two teams? And it's not to say that they haven't benefited from Dak's injury and the Eagles being a mess, because they have. But I'm not going to apologize it because those teams have benefited from the Giants being an absolute mess the last few years. So it's about time some luck starts breaking the Giants' way. And I know we, you know, I've seen them win Super Bowls and whatever, but that feels like a lifetime ago at this point. So I'm just happy that they're showing improvements and developing because it's it felt like forever. Yeah, so we go from showing improvements to massive regression. And the Rams absolutely just put it on the Cardinals. And I I go back to the same thing I've always thought about this Cardinals football team, Randy, is that you cannot win consistently in this league with your two worst units being your offensive line and your defensive line. And that is what's been showing up for this Cardinals football team. Los Angeles puts up 38 to the Cardinals 28. But what's more indicative is that the Rams scored 30, or I'm sorry, 21 fourth quarter points. That means you can, you are not getting pressure. You're not getting stops. And that is a huge issue for this Cardinals offense defense. And I apologize. And part of that issue is letting Jared Goff go 37 of 47 for 351 yards and a touchdown. Cam Akers had 21 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown. Daryl Henderson had a huge run, three carries, 49 yards and a touchdown. And Jared Goff had a rushing touchdown. They allowed three rushing touchdowns in this game against a team that doesn't like to run the football. Huge problem. Robert Woods, maybe the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL, 10 receptions, 85 yards. Cooper Cup, eight receptions, 73 yards. Those two guys are vacuum cleaners on offense. You Mm -hmm. throw it their way, they are probably going to catch it. They probably run the best routes in the NFL as a tandem. And, I mean, I could go through all the guys who caught passes for the Rams, but would be here for another 15 minutes. So, (laughs) Jared Goff spread it around. It was really good. And I I would be amiss to not give you Aaron Donald. Like, he was two, two tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss. But he had 
84% of the snaps he played, he put pressure on Kyler Murray. It is an insane stat. What this guy does when you look at the advanced numbers, this is why he's the best defensive player in the NFL. He disrupts everything. And going to the Cardinals offense, I, I do think Kyler Murray's shoulder is still bothering him. He went 21 of 39 for 173 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. The running game, they're just not committing to it. They had 21 total carries. Uh, Kenyon Drake, 10 for 49 and a touchdown. Chase Edmonds, 6 for 28. Kyler Murray had 5 for 15. Dan Arnold, he, he's the one with the two catches, the 61 yards and two touchdowns. DeAndre Hopkins, 8 for 52 and a touchdown. This team just can't stretch it deep. Kyler Murray, he threw a pick. He also lost a fumble, but he fumbled twice. So that's not what you want to see. And the Cardinals are now six and six and they are falling like a rock in this division. And even in the playoff hunt. Yeah. I think my fellow wrestling fans of the show would uh, probably agree with me when I said that the Cardinals feel like they are S A W F T. So uh, yeah. And I, I didn't want to learn. So I learned something about the, the uh, Rams on the, that game. They refer to those white jerseys that they wear as bone colored did you catch that in the broadcast? You know, I heard it and I just, I never picked up on it, but those are some ugly ass uniforms. <laughs> they look like practice jerseys and they do have like that bone color, which was weird. Um, and it's a weird way to describe it. And then golf is so skinny that he kind of looks like Slender Man when he wears those jerseys. So uh, I'm not a biggest fan of those. Um, all right. Moving on now to just the worst game of the week. And if you're someone who hates Boston sports and the city of Boston, much like me, uh, this is to much of your chagrin. Uh, the Patriots just took a fat steaming dump all over the Chargers in this game, 45 to nothing. And Chargers, where are you at, bro? I love Justin Herbert. Uh, not doing too hot in this game, but I guess I should have realized uh, rookie quarterbacks against Bill Belichick, I think only three of them all time uh, have wins. Justin Herbert, 26 of 53, 209 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. Only 70 yards on the ground. Austin Eckler, eight carries for 36 yards. Caleb Balazs, seven of 34. Um, I, I can't think of a team who has had worse quarterback play than the Patriots. I know that the Bears have had issues, uh, and I know other teams have had problems. You know, the Broncos had played a game without a quarterback. But Cam Newton has had, like, one great game this year, and it's been pretty bad all year other than that. Uh, he was 12 of 19 for only 69 yards and a touchdown. But he offers on the ground is valuable, I think, 14 for 48, two touchdowns. Patriots are making it work now. They're six and six. And uh, I think they have a pretty good shot at the postseason at this point. Uh, they have tiebreakers over the Dolphins, over the Raiders, uh, and I believe over another important AFC contender, um, but of the Browns, maybe. I can't think of who else, but uh, I'm impressed by one player in particular on the Pats, and it's Damian Harris. He had 16 carries for 80 yards, no touchdowns. And he's from Alabama, was a mid round pick. He looks like a stud, and I listen to Bill Simmons often on his shows on The Ringer, and he's obviously a big Boston guy, and he said something that shocked me earlier, and it was Damian Harris is the best Patriots running back since Curtis Martin, and I was shocked at that because Curtis Martin was one of the – was a great running back, especially back in the day. There was 2004 back when he played for them. But Damian Harris is really good. The fact that Belichick sticks with him is a good sign because I think Belichick does like his running back by committee and he used Tony Michelle 10 for 35, but Harris looks like a way better back at this point. And, um, 
here come the Patriots. I don't really know what else to say. Chargers, thanks for coming. Uh, Anthony Lynn, thanks for coming. You're gone. 45 nothing. That's not just a beatdown. Uh, that's, that's embarrassing. Uh, and there's another guy I want to give a shout-out to, Gunnar Oshevsky. Uh, he had one catch for 38 yards in the touchdown, but he also had – let me get this right – three punt returns for 145 yards in a touchdown. And I believe he had a decent kick return. No, no kick returns because they didn't score. Uh, makes sense. But, yeah, Gunnar Olszewski, total classic Patriot playmaker. Doesn't shock me that he's the guy on there. So, here come the Pats, 6-6 six and six now. Um, I don't know what the likelihood is that they make the playoffs, but they're right in the thick of it, and I, I kind of hate it. <laughs> yeah, well, they got some work to do. But do. speaking of a team – that has a lot of work to do and they got some things to figure out are those Philadelphia Eagles at three, eight and one after losing 30 to 16. And that score is not as close as it may sound. The Packers really ran away with this Packers are now nine and three. They, if somehow the saints can get another loss, the Packers would be the number one seed in the NFC, but kudos goes out to number 12, Aaron Rodgers, the fastest, quarterback to 400 touchdown passes for a career this guy looks like he can play as long as Brady's playing because he is doing it at such a high level when everyone thought he was counted out and I think if he's not winning the MVP he's number two uh 25 to 34 in this game 295 yards three touchdowns Aaron Jones 15 carries for 130 yards and a touchdown Devontae Adams, 10 receptions, 121 yards, two touchdowns. Robert Tanyan, four receptions, 39 yards, and a touchdown. Randy, I do have to ask you this question. It may sound blasphemous, but who's the better offense, the Chiefs or the Packers? I mean, I, I'm impartial. You know, I think the Chiefs are insane, but uh, I think it's a valid question because I think the Packers have a better running a game. Uh, I think they're more committed to it, I should say. I, I love Aaron Jones. Uh, I think he's very good and underrated. Um, and I think I just like Mahomes more at this point in his career, although you know, you can't really take away what Rodgers has done this year. It's a, I, think, I think it's a kind of a valid question, but I just don't think the Packers have reliable options at tight end like Travis Kelsey or a guy who could stretch the field quite like Tyreek Hill. And I think the Chiefs have all these complementary weapons um, that just make plays week in and week out. And the Packers have Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. And then, you know, you might get something from Marquez Valdez-Scantling and you might get something from Alan Lazard, but it's primarily those two guys. And maybe Robert Tanyan has a good week here and there. But uh, to me, it's the Chiefs, and I don't know how close it is, to be honest. Yeah, it, it is a very interesting and valid question. But going from one offense to another really just pathetic, sad, stick a fork in him offense, Carson Wentz was benched this game. Jalen Hurts, 5 for 12, 109 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Carson Wentz, 6 for 15, 79 yards. It, it, it was brutal. It wasn't pretty. Miles Sanders, 10 for 31 yards. Jalen Hurts, 5 for 29. So Hurts gives you that extra little um, running option. So at the end of the day, the Eagles are in trouble. The Packers are moving on. I think the Packers and obviously not Leon's Detroit Lions, but the New Orleans Saints are our teams that we're looking at the top of the NFC. 
Yes, Carson Wentz does get benched in this game, and they have announced that Jalen Hurts will be the starter moving forward. So I wonder if that'll change anything in Philly, but probably not. But as you guys can see, it is time now to move on to our game of the week. And our friend Leon Tompkins proudly wearing his Detroit Lions gear. Leon, how you doing, my friend? Welcome back to the Audible. Hey, how you doing, uh, Randy? Matt? <laughs> Uh, we obviously want Leon to come back here because Matt so often reminds us how Mitch Trubisky in his career never, ever lost to the Detroit Lions. Well, however, on December 6th of 2020, that is no longer the case. The Detroit Lions would score 14 points in the fourth quarter to overcome the Chicago Bears 34 to 30. Congrats, my friend. Leon, what did you think of the game? Uh, how happy are you finally to beat the juggernaut known as Mitch Trubisky? Well, you know, well, it's it's fun watching Matt gradually just break himself down over 13 weeks. You know, coming off a high off of game one, you can see the Bears had every week, and as you can see now, you know, White Sox. So, you know, I've been taking jazz at Trubisky and whatnot. So it, it, it's fun watching him see him at his high point and then just seeing him totally broken. So uh took 13 weeks, but it feels good. Uh, this obviously comes the week after Matt Patricia and uh, your, your GM Bob Quinn have been fired. Uh, maybe it was Patricia this whole time holding you back. Is you know maybe Mitch is just the Patricia uh, owner. Maybe he has the pink slip on Patricia. Um, Matt, I want to get your thoughts on this game now because you know we wanted Leon to come in, maybe rub salt in the wounds a little bit here. Uh, we I think I expected the Bears to win this game. I think you did too. What happened and you know how did you get here after five and one for the Bears? You know you know now you're five and seven. What happened? Well, I mean, if you, oh boy, um, the Bears defense, the, the mystique is over. Sorry. I, I mean, I'm just going to rip everyone. Nagy's a fucking idiot. Bill Lazor's a fucking idiot. This whole offensive bullshit that they have done has completely ruined any continuity on the offense. And just how stupid this team is. David Montgomery had 11 carries for over 50 yards in the first half, and he had two touchdowns. He had six carries the entire second half. They were up by 10 fucking points. Cordell Patterson, 10 carries, 59 yards, and a touchdown run. Up by 10 points. They, they ran him on the first series, and then it's just pass the rest of the game. You're up by 10 points. Stafford throws an awful fucking interception, like one of the worst sidearm stupid interceptions to a defensive tackle. Bears are up by 10, about eight minutes left. And I, I even sent a message. I was like, Leon, well, that's it. You know, Matt Stafford with the back-breaking interception. And the and this shit doesn't stop for the past five games. Or, I'm sorry, the last six games. The Bears have lost six games in a row for the first time since 2002. 77% of your money is in the salary cap towards that defense. And, I mean, really to a man, Eddie Jackson, I, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Kyle Fuller, Kyle Fuller going for knockout hits. Eddie Jackson wants no part of any contact. Like he just does not want the smoke at all. None of it. He wants to stay away from it. And you paid that safety a shitload of money to avoid contact. You're a safety. It, it, it comes in contact, but I, I got to give props to Matthew Stafford at the end of the day, going against a defense that mainly has had his number for a while here. 27 to 42 402 yards, three touchdowns, and like I said, that awful interception. I mean, what the hell? You're up by 10 points 
and you let the Lions march 96 yards. You punt the ball. It's on the Lions' four-yard line. You have them backed up on the four. They march 96 fucking yards. What do you say about a defense at that point? This is what you get paid. You get paid to win the game. And it's the same shit we saw two weeks or a week ago against the Packers. There's no spine to this team right now. And you have to believe what you see at some point. What I see is a gutless team that has quit on its coach. The coach has lost the locker room and it felt over like the naggy pace era felt over. And, and the only thing I could do is like, I can thank Leon. Thank you, Leon, for your Detroit lions putting a fork in this terrible experiment. You know, I could go through everything that Pace did. We taught, we give him credit for the things that he did. But really, when we take a look back at it, the Lions really didn't delay the inevitable. Like, they have to get younger and better on defense. Offensively, they need some more weapons. But to surrender 34 points to a team that misses its best running back in DeAndre Swift and his best wide receiver in Kenny Galladay, and this is what you come out with, I'm fucking done. That's why I'm wearing the socks hat. Like, you can't do that. That's fucking pathetic. That bullshit is the worst thing I've seen. And you know what? If I know the Bears don't do it, but Nagy and Pace should have been fired after this game alone. Like, like this was indicative of the entire tenure of the Bears with Nagy and Pace. You, you just get close enough only to lose it. That sign, that 96-yard drive is a sign to the top 10 offense at work. <laughs> if you don't get out of here with that top 10 offense. <laughs> and you look at that Bears defense coming down that uh, drive for the touchdown. It's like, I don't know what they were doing. It's like they played prevent defense. And then you know, got Fuller and Jackson just totally looking at Jones, strolling to the end zone. Um, then... Bears get the ball back on offense. Third and four, you figure they run the ball and try to kill them, kill a timeout. Detroit did a few things in this game that I have not seen during the Patricia era. One, they made halftime adjustments, like you mentioned before, with the, with the running game. Montgomery and Patterson were killing them. Uh, they went halftime, made the proper adjustments. They let Stafford throw the damn ball. I haven't seen that many downfield uh, attempts in a game since, you know, I can't remember. And another interesting stat, they scored 34 points this game. They scored 34 points one time under 43 games under Patricia. You know, Stafford is a top 15 quarterback in the league. The, the identity of them trying to run the ball first and second down. You got Adrian Peterson. You're not getting by. You're just not 2006 Adrian Peterson here. You know, the strength of this team is the quarterback. You know, play action, bootlegs, running first and second down. It, it's not their. It's not their style. Swift's not in the game. Um, I, I like the aggressiveness. I like the, the effort and the joy that actually came out with. Bevel made a difference. You know, if it'll translate in, into Green Bay next week into Tampa, you know, maybe get a couple wins, might shock a pe- some people. But uh, I like the energy that they came out with. And, you know, 402 yards, it, 
Stafford, I mean, he's going to put up his numbers. I'm, I'm just glad he looked like I've seen him look before because that throw to Cephas was a thing of beauty. I've always been a Stafford guy. I've always thought he's really good and got a raw deal. I mean, you're playing for the Lions. Uh, I think you kind of have to take that into account for a lot of the struggles that he might have or a lot of the criticism that he might have. Like, he's literally carrying a franchise that is historically bad on his back. And I think he's been incredibly successful as the Lions quarterback. Now, uh, you, you fire Patricia, you have Daryl Bevel now. You say that he has a, a – you put up more points you put in under – like than you did it under Patricia for two and a half years. Where do you go from here with the Lions? Are you trying to sign a coach that's going to try to get the best out of Stafford? Do you move on from Stafford? What do you want as a Lions fan? Um, I'm a little bit biased towards Stafford. He's been here for 12 years. It's hard to find a quarterback in this league, and I don't believe in just giving away a quarterback to, to, for an unknown commodity. Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can get as many draft picks as you want. These draft picks never pan out. Um, you can find a receiver a dime a dozen. You can find a running back a dime a dozen. Um, I believe Stafford has at least maybe four, five good years at best with a good offensive line. That's where they need to. That's where we need to start. Yeah. Um, as far as the coach is concerned, the change in ownership uh, really made a difference here. Now, Ford, her daughter, took over the team. She held the Quinn and Patricia accountable at the beginning of the season, saying that they had to play for meaningful games in December. It didn't happen. Look where they are now. They can't Patricia and they can't Quinn. So is it a sign of things to come with some competency in the front office? I sure hope so. Um, if Bevel is able to motivate this team, maybe pick up a few wins, like I said, against Green Bay, against Tampa Bay, they got Minnesota left. I mean, they could go three and one, maybe sneak in a playoff spot, you know, fingers crossed. But um, I know there's a lot of talk with Salah and a lot of talk for Jim Harbaugh, but um, I just want to see chips fall where they may, but I, I, I would like to see Stafford here. I think Salah would be a great fit for you guys. I, I really like how he coaches up the defense for San Francisco. Um, I just think that you would need to sign an offensive coordinator at that point to really get the best out of Stafford. Stafford's getting kind of old now. What is he, 34? Is he that old yet? Yeah. yeah. About No, I don't think he's that old. No, you know, maybe not. I feel like he's been in the league forever, so I just assume those guys are, are, are older. But uh, I just think you got to get the most out of Stafford, so you're going to need an offensive guy to put in a system that can be sustainable long-term here. Matt, you're shaking your head here. Obviously, you're a Bears fan. You're not super invested in the Lions, but do you have some interest considering they're a division rival? Uh, what do you think that they should do in the future with Stafford and the coaching staff? I mean, I'm super invested in what the Lions do because it directly affects <laughs> the Bears. It, it, it may affect me for a while here. That's uh, true. I, You know, to me, I've always been a big Daryl Bevel guy. I always thought he should have been the guy to get some head coaching opportunities. Really, I don't think he got enough credit for what he did in Seattle, especially with Russell Wilson and making that offense really go. Um, he, he always, to me, seemed like he had a lot of common sense on what he was doing. So I think Darrell Bevel should be the guy. Don't move on from Stafford. Like Leon said, if you're always chasing that next quarterback, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you take a look at what the Packers did. I don't care if you draft one, you know, what, what the Packers did with Rodgers and Favre and then, you know, Love and Rodgers as it stands right now. 
you know, put, put one in your back pocket for a couple of years just in case. But it is too damn hard to find a quarterback in this league just to move off of one when you don't know what you have. I don't think you need to rebuild this roster because you've been doing that for a couple of years now with the draft picks with Patricia. So really it's just complimenting. It, obviously they got to find a pass rusher. I think that's the biggest need on this team. And then you have to improve that offensive line a little bit, maybe get a little upgrade in wide receiver. <clears throat> Allen Robinson's going to be out there. He's from Detroit. It makes a shitload of sense for him to go there. If you feel like you can spend the money on a wide receiver. Well, they have to lock up Galladay on their own, right? Galladay's a free agent at the end of the year. I mean, who would you rather have, Galladay or Allen Robinson? But they could franchise tag them at, uh, okay. if they need to. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, Corey Richmond says Stafford is 32. So you, you don't give up on a 32-year-old quarterback. As you can see, the ball has plenty of zip. And like I talk about, like we have guys in our group that, that we all love, but like Henry, our guy, Henry Maldonado Jr. Pitching for Stafford to go to San Francisco. Why would Detroit just give up a quarterback? It, it's, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense for a team to give up on something that, you know, he was a number one overall pick. He, really? He hasn't been surrounded with continuity. We go back to that word. We talked about it with the Broncos. We talked about it with the Bills. The bad teams are always switching head coaches. Get Daryl Bevel in there. Give him a five-year deal. Let him coincide with Stafford. Like I said, this this Detroit team is not as far as it seems. They should have beat the Bears week one. Week yeah. one, it should have been a Lions win. And now we're talking maybe six and six Lions. There, there was a couple games that they sh- definitely should have won throughout the course of the year. But they need some pieces. If Jeff Okuda can stay healthy, this Lions team has pieces that can make them good. Don't tear it apart. Don't get rid of Stafford. Add to it. Right. And I did want to add one thing from the game. It Watching it, it felt like something finally turned for me with the, when the coach changed. So the Bears driving down the field at the 10-yard line, and Allen Robinson decided to step out make it fourth and one. That's something like the Lions would do, you know, some, some, something dumb. And then they did something that I've never seen before, get a fourth down stop. So, I mean, maybe the tide is changing. I, I sure hope so. But uh, like, like you said, Bevel, if, I, I do think Patricia was holding him back. That's why you saw a more downfield shot. So maybe he can implement his, his system, uh, be more aggressive. We'll, we'll see the best of Stafford. And, you know, if it works out these final five games, extend them. Well, I mean, why not have that continuity? For sure, Leon. I'm happy for you. Finally got over that Mitch Trubisky hump. Obviously, that's quite the juggernaut uh, in the division and the conference. You know, been slaying a lot of dragons. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, you know, been very dominant over the years. So I'm really happy that you guys finally, finally beat my uh, Matt's guy, Mitch. Um, so before we move on, uh, Leon, I want you to tell us where we can watch you. Uh, you have our, your own show over in our other group, Ball is Life. Why don't you tell us about it? Oh, yes. Uh, tomorrow night in the Ball is Life group, we're previewing, we're going to give our top 10 rankings in uh, the NBA, uh, top five duos. going to talk about Kyrie and LeBron's comments, Paul George, his nonsense, and, you know, uh, get ready as the preseason starts actually on uh, Sunday. So I'm going to get that going. I'm going to have a special guest on. Um, catch me 
good friend, uh, Jacob Moses, the Jet fan. And we'll have a special guest on tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. I, I got a question for Leon tying into that. Is there any reason that I should think that the Lakers are not going to win back-to-back titles? Brooklyn Nets, that's it. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> but fair enough fair okay. enough okay all right fair enough fair enough i'm really excited for the nba season starting uh lakers you know real chance to go back to back here coming off of a championship uh really happy about that it's a quick turnaround for the nba so leon jacob you guys always have great conversations over on the step back podcast over ball is life are you doing every wednesday now at eight o'clock uh we'll probably do this wednesday and then uh, probably before Christmas, might pop in sometime before then. Uh, but once the season starts, we'll go every week. All right. So if you're not in Ball is Life, go check it out. We'll uh, we'll share that group's information uh, after the show. There's, there should be a link to it at the top of the group already if there's not. But, uh, yeah, Leon, thanks so much for joining us. We really wanted to get you on to talk about your great Lions victory. Uh, maybe they can run the table for you and make the playoffs. Uh, 2020, anything is possible. Sure is. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It's always good watching Bushnell cry, so I, I got my joy out of that. You guys have a good uh, one. Agreed. I love when we get a little passion out of Matt Bushnell. So, all right, man. Uh, Leon, it's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. I look forward to my next chance to be on uh, the step back with you and Jacob. So, until then, my friend, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, Leon, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, fellas. All right, that's Leon Tompkins joining us here on the Audible. Uh, great job by him and his Detroit Lions. So um, <clears throat> let's move on now. We got some news. We got some breaking news here, Matt. I don't know if you saw this. We have a Cowboys-Ravens game going on as we speak. Uh, Des Bryant is out on the COVID-19 list, and he actually tested positive for the coronavirus. He tweeted that he is quitting the season and he just decided that he cannot deal with all of the situation that he has going on right now. You feel for Des Bryant a little bit here. He worked hard to come back after three years out of the league. Uh, I can't say I totally blame him here, but this is uh, – I, I don't really know if it's shocking or just it is what it is. Um surprised more guys didn't opt out after this situation. Yeah, I think Des is one of those situations where, I, you know, I honestly do feel bad for him. Um, he, he, I think mental health, especially in this situation, so underplayed. Yeah. And it has a large effect. And the Cowboys just went up three nothing after a Lamar Jackson terrible interception. But um you know, there's so many things to deal with for these players and trying to weigh all their options. Does wouldn't have made a big impact for the Ravens regardless. I just don't think you can play that long. I just hope that mentally he's okay. You know, yeah. I understand, I get it. You know, I'm not going to criticize any player for making the decision to play or not to play. That is on them. That is a personal decision that each one of these guys has to make on their own. And I think you have to respect it. Any fan that calls them out for not being man enough or, you know, to put football over family or what their best interests are. It's awfully selfish for us to sit in that position when. You know, most of us are working remotely now. Some of us, you know, God bless the people that are going out there and doing those essential jobs. So, you know, we appreciate everyone. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't question Des. Just hope he's healthy and, you know, mentally he's okay with it. Yep. So that's the news coming out. Uh, 
as the start of that game happening right now. If you're watching us during the game, thank you for sticking around with us. We got a little bit more to go here. Um, the next, the only injury note I found really of the week was the Washington football team's Antonio Gibson left after the first series for them last night with a toe injury. He tried to, you know, t- tape it up on the sideline, stretch it out, and he just couldn't really go through with it. Uh, if it's turf toes, it could be a huge loss for them going forward. Uh, you know, how does this affect the Washington football team down the stretch? Well, I mean, I have to go with the Randy Hammond theory of running backs. <laughs> Next guy up. That's right. J.D. McKissick, your time is now, my friend. Uh, he's been a playmaker for them, but I do think J.D. McKissick isn't – the talent level really isn't that much different between the two. So if it's turf toe, you know, you're looking at a month or so. Uh, if it's less serious, you know, it would be a, a nice luxury to have him. But uh, there's no specifics on the toe at the moment, but all I know is that he left the game and, you know, it didn't look good. All right. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but um, – there was a big fight in the Bengals Dolphins game and uh, the one man that got suspended because of that fight. And it was the Bengals safety, Sean Williams uh, for stomping on someone, the old Indomitian Sioux move. Uh, and then Titans defensive end in their game, Tier Tart uh, also got suspended for stomping. They should just call this the Indomitian Sioux uh, award basically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you want to give an award for it, but, you know, I'm all for it. You know, I think that would be a great idea for the NFL to become a little bit more comedic is just <laughs> to name suspensions after players. Like you got the Sioux suspension or, yeah. you know, um, God, who, that's what you should call it. The Sioux suspension. That's great. <laughs> well, well, who was the guy that stomped on the Cowboys center's head? Um, oh, that was Sue. Hainsworth. Albert oh, Hainsworth. Yeah. You know, we could have a Hainsworth suspension. Like, I'm all for this. I love this idea. Let's just date, start naming suspensions after players. It's like the NHL should just have a, a like a, a punishment. Like, if someone were to take off their skate and try to stab someone with it, that's the Happy Gilmore uh, suspension. Like that, that you start naming uh, these uh, suspensions after people who did these ridiculous things in the past. <laughs> uh, but this is very much. Uh, a, uh, a dickament on what happened with Ndamukong Sue throughout his career. He's done this several times. So it seems like the NFL is uh, kind of doing something to say, hey, don't do this or, you know, you're going to get suspended for it. So both of those guys get a one-game suspension based on their actions. So, all right. Uh, hold on. Go ahead. The Miles Garrett suspension where you rip off your opponent's helmet and hit him in the there head with it. There you go. So if you use your helmet as a baseball bat or a hammer, uh, that is the last carry suspension. We're going to come up with a bunch of these as we go, and that's a good idea. Uh, the NFL would never uh, do something to joke about themselves because they're not fun like that, but that would be fun. All right, uh, one last news, and this comes from the college football landscape here, Matt. I don't know how often you get to watch college football these days, but the Michigan-Ohio State game is one of the games that I look forward to each and every year, despite Michigan almost never winning. Uh, but this game was canceled due to a potential outbreak for the University of Michigan. Uh, you know, the Big Ten in general has seen several issues with the coronavirus this year, uh, and this is no different. Uh, I watched the Ohio State game over the weekend. They have played five games in two months. I don't know how uh, college football's uh, committee is going to get them into the playoffs or how they're going to justify them being in a conference championship game. I maybe this was the whole reason this was a bad idea to begin with here. What do you make of this whole situation? I mean, it's complete. All right. I mean, I love college football for all its warts, and it it has plenty of warts to it. This is just – I was a firm believer that you do it with the NFL. If you can play through COVID, you play through COVID. 
I thought this was just a greedy ploy by the NCAA to get a season in. And I get the players wanted to do it. The players sued. The players did this. But, like, I think the Pac-12 is only playing five games this year. Yeah. Like, how the hell can you determine who deserves to go to a national championship game when the SEC has played, like, nine already? Yeah. Well, like this, the ACC. I mean, the the Notre Dame's what ten and zero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, if it's not filled with ACC and SEC teams, I, I have to question the validity of the playoffs because yeah. obviously Alabama's good. Um, Clemson deserves a spot. Notre Dame deserves a spot. But you know, I don't know how good these teams are because you're going to have a two or three loss SEC team losing out to a five game played. Big 12, Pac-12 team, and it's complete garbage. I, I hate this college season. I've really tried to keep an open mind about it, but it's hard, Randy. It's been hard to kind of watch this product out there. I just don't really know how it works. Like, you can't really do the same things in college football that you can do in the NFL. You can't push games back or reschedule them. Like, you have a small window that you have to get all this stuff done in. And when it's based on a record and strength of schedule and all these other factors and not everyone played the same amount of games, that's where it gets tricky to me. So, I don't know. This is one of the biggest games of the year every year. I'm kind of disappointed it's not going to happen, but it's kind of less important compared to this. So, maybe uh, we should have reevaluated this whole thing to begin with. But, uh, all right. Uh, and Corey Richmond wants us to point out here, Adam Humphreys on injured reserve with a concussion and A.J. Boye facing suspension for violating the league's PED policy, which that means something in the water in Houston. It's another Texan, uh, <laughs> I believe, going down. Or is Boye on another team now? Or is he on the Broncos? Um, that's that's my mistake if I don't even recall that but I thought uh, he was on the Texans but I could be wrong I could be wrong as well anyone in the comments wants to help us out that's fine all right we got a a game to preview here on Thursday night football and it is the New England Patriots at six and six going to LA to play at SoFi Stadium and the Rams Uh, we're not going to go into a deep dive in this matchup really per se because we talked about these teams a lot I just wanted to ask you Matt you know what the likelihood is that the Patriots can make the playoffs and by doing that, we're going to do this little schedule game here. So the Patriots, six and six, they have four games left. They are at the Rams on Thursday. They are at the Dolphins uh, on the 20th, at the Bills on Monday night football on the 28th, and then at the Jets to wrap up the season on week 17. Uh, based on that, you know, what do you expect their record to be? And is there any chance you see them making a AFC wildcard spot? I'll get uh, one second, quick game update. Lamar Jackson just ran up the middle on fourth and two for a 37-yard touchdown. The Cowboys' defense vaunted as ever. No um, so the Patriots aren't beating the Rams. They're not beating the Dolphins. You know, So I, I take a look at that. And they already I'm, beat the Dolphins once, I should say. But, I mean, it, it, was in, it was in New England. So Yeah, and going to Miami is an entirely different you know, I'd rather go to Miami now than in the beginning of the year. But yeah. Miami always seems to beat New England at Miami. It's, Even at their peak, yes, they always struggle in Miami. Yeah, so I, I like Miami in this matchup um, when they do play. But I like the Rams on Thursday Night Football. I, I don't think the Ravens – I'm sorry, the Ravens. I do not believe that the Patriots can make the playoffs in the AFC because you still got the Raiders, you still got the Browns, the Ravens, who you know, I name-dropped there the Colts, the Titans, 
Um, you know, the Dolphins still, where they have to make up two games on the Dolphins, which it does help if they beat them again, but still that leaves them a game behind. Yep. There's this too much ground to make up in a very um, top-heavy AFC, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they make it, even if they win two out of two or two out yeah. of two. I think they go two and two and I think they could beat the bills at home. Cause they almost beat the bills in Buffalo. I think they could beat the bills at home and I think they're going to beat the jets, obviously. So eight and eight, probably the record, which we, you know, we thought they'd go to eight and eight before the season started, <clears throat> but I don't think it's going to be enough to make the playoffs. And an AFC that actually has a ton of people, a ton of teams, I should say that uh, have a chance to make the playoffs here, uh, which leads me to the next thing here. Uh, let's get to predictions quick. Uh, Thursday night football Patriots at Rams, Matt, who do you got? I'm taking the Rams here. I, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a blowout because I, I do think Bill Belichick coaches against Jared Goff pretty well, but I think they're going to struggle offensively against that Rams front. They've struggled offensively all year except that Seahawks game. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I agree with you. I do think the Rams are going to win this game, but I think it's going to be Rams 21, Patriots 13. I'll go Rams 28 to the Patriots 13 as well. I I don't see the Patriots getting more than 13 points. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the the Rams are much better coached and much more talented than the Chargers are, so I don't see that being a repeat. But uh, all right, moving on. Actually, this is the second straight game of SoFi within five days span for the Patriots too. That's kind of interesting. All right, Matt, before we say goodbye, it is time now to give a fantasy update. And it's not the, quite the playoff edition because there is a game going on right now, but almost all playoff matchups are basically set. So what do we got for the 12-teamer? Yeah, so the 12-teamer, it's it's basically done. It's official for the top top seeds. So Chris Redrick, um, the Mafia, as he affectionately calls his team, they are the number one seed. And I'm sorry, I'm just trying to pull up the standings right now. His team will be moving to 11 and two best record in the league. So that's the one seed me. I don't know how I did it. I am nine and four through a season of turmoil. I did not expect to be the number two seed, but I will finish the season at nine and four the regular season. Both Chris and I do get a buy um, your guy, Stephen Furlong. He wins the vaunted East Division. I believe he is going to win his matchup. He will be seven and six. So he wraps up the third seed. Then our fourth and fifth seed will go to the, I'm sorry, um, EJ Fulbright. Um, He will be moving to eight and five after losing a tough one, it looks like, to our guy Ryan Shiner. Felipe appears, and this is where some shuffling could take place. Felipe could either either be the five seed or the six seed. It does have a little bit of difference um, when we take a look at it. If he wins his matchup, he will be the fifth seed. Um, actually, I apologize. It's just for home field advantage. Uh, Felipe and EJ are locked into playing each other week one in the playoffs. Um, Corey Decker's matchup against Kevin Koo, easy breezy. If Corey Decker wins, he's in the playoffs. If Kevin wins, he's in the playoffs and they will fight for the right to f- play Steven, who will be the three seed. So kind of a convoluted schedule or a convoluted, uh, matchup right here, but just to give an update, uh, Ryan Shiner is up 79 to 75. He has Lamar Jackson going against uh, EJ's uh, Baltimore defense. And it looks like Felipe 
Uh, oh, where are you, Felipe? Growing the man. I had it here a minute ago. He is going to lose his matchup to Sean Connor Flannery. Right now it's 119 to 94. That matchup is out of reach. He's not going to win that one. And it looks like Corey Decker will be in the playoffs at seven and six. He is going to beat Kevin, who he's up right now, 134 to 106. So it looks like everything is locked in and um, good to go. Quite the breakdown there. You always are more organized with this than I am, so I appreciate that. Uh, me, uh, in the 10-team league here, I am beating Aiden Trader, who completely gave up on life in this league. I'm winning 103-26. to 26. He has two players currently going, but uh, tough sled for him. I'm going to finish the year 5 and 8. Blah, no one cares. Uh, all right, so Ricky Velasquez just continued his dominance and is the number one overall seed in this league. He is going to be uh nine and three or uh ten and three i should say he wins 172 over jacob anthony moses's 82 with he has two guys currently going but unless he scores 91 points in this in this game here he's you know he's done and you know he's going to finish five and eight with me uh matt you need some help here to get into the playoffs in this league you are currently losing 105 to 97 you both have two players going tonight and you would if you were to win the ace and two other guy you're playing who is brett sanchez uh would be seven and six you would also be seven to six with the tiebreaker over him but what you also need is ny dolpy my friend uh anthony galena to lose uh so you all be seven and six and i believe you would have a tiebreaker to make it in one of the four playoff spots so you need some help big time um you currently yeah you both have two players so good luck there um Mac attack. He is our third seed currently. And it looks like that's going to stay. I don't know. He could, he could lose. And actually he can't lose. He won 111 to 108. So he's in the playoffs. He's going to be eight and five. Uh, and then let's see. So the Anthony Galena's matchup currently to Danny dimes. Uh, who's Danny dimes. Why can't I find Danny dimes? Anyway, uh, whoever that is, they're currently beating Anthony, 155 to 148, and Anthony only has one player left, so it's going to come down to a couple of things breaking your way, Matt, for you to make the playoffs, but the playoffs, you know, it looks like Ricky is running away with uh, <laughs> this whole league, so good for him, and uh, yeah, that's the 10-teamer. <clears throat> Thanks for all participating in fantasy this year, and uh, you know, that's it's been a weird regular season, but uh, you know, we're basically at the playoffs now, so uh, good on everyone for participating. It's been fun. Uh, all right, Matt, it is time now to say goodbye, but before we do so, why don't you tell us about all the other shows that are offered underneath this Life Group podcast umbrella? Okay, as we mentioned before, Leon Tompkins, a dear friend of the show who, you know, publicly embarrassed me today, will have uh, his show with Jacob Anthony Moses, a step back, previewing the NBA season tomorrow with a special guest. I am curious as to find out who that special guest is, as I am left in the dark on those matters. Yes. Then Friday, the award-winning, Grammy-winning, Emmy-winning, Oscar-winning episode Whoa. <laughs> of the, you know, the Audible. We are award-winning. We have so many trophies, Randy, that we do not have enough shelving to show them on the show. So we do apologize for that. Maybe one day we can show a trophy or two, but yeah, just gentlemen and ladies, just hold on. We'll get those taken care of. <laughs> and then Sunday, another award-winning podcast, not quite to the standard of the audible, but still really good, fantastic 
great baseball pack podcast total basis podcast with felipe malicio and sean connor flannery proof that the hot stove season dictates fantasy matchups sean connor flannery and felipe <clears throat> malicio will have that all on the total basis podcast and then we have dong city with vince mercandetti henry maldonado jr great 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 podcast by them um, we love watching our baseball podcast. And I even want to throw out, you know, Corey Richmond. He does a really nice wrestling podcast. You know, maybe we can get him under, you know, the Life Group umbrella. We maybe. need a wrestling podcast. Yeah. So they do the work to shoot. Um, we, we, we do like that. We do like our wrestling podcast. There's a void to be filled there. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe it can happen. But Corey's a great contributor to the show. So I just wanted to give him a plug there as well. Yes, we need to have Corey on the show here to uh, talk about his Browns because it's it's been a historic year for his Cleveland Browns. All right, and it's time to say goodbye here, Matt, but I just want to share, for especially as we're talking so much about wrestling here, I have a collection of bobbleheads I have on my desk, and I, my birthday is in just two and a half weeks for all of you people out there, you know, just to let you guys know. Uh, I bought myself an early birthday present, and it is of macho man randy savage bobblehead and it is my new favorite one so enjoy this i'm going to leave it here for you as we say goodbye you have to talk in the macho man voice close out in the macho man oh yeah this has been the audible in football life baby dig it oh yeah that's the best i got i lost my voice (laughs) all right thanks for guys for joining us we'll talk to you guys on friday i'm randy hammond on behalf of matt bushnell we'll talk to you guys then